It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss today. one 408 7669 You can always get the podcast, briankilmeadeshow.com, to download it wherever you get the podcast. And you can always watch on Fox Nation. We stream live every single day. Another reason to get that great app. Uh, we have got a great programming on there, too. Uh, General Jack Keene will be with us shortly. He's going to talk about this new revelations about the Iran deal negotiations taking place in Vienna. It is sickening. Uh, as well as other challenges we have around the globe. And, well, uh, we have Jason Chaffetz. He's got a great book coming out uh, Tuesday, They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, meaning Democrats. And, man, well, we are in a crisis, and they are not letting it go to waste. A crisis judged by China. China did it. Pandemic. Uh, and now we're coming out of it, but they're still about to jam another $2 trillion package down our throats. So uh, I have a lot to get to, and I want to get to your calls, too. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So are we in a fourth wave right now? Well, I believe we are, and I believe that uh, in some ways we're almost in a new pandemic. The only good news about this is that the current vaccines are effective against this particular variant, B117. Wow, Dr. Michael Osterholm. A fourth wave? That's what some are saying as the COVID variants hit middle America. Cases go up. The best defense are vaccines. But should a vaccine passport be necessary? We'll examine. Number two. The infrastructure of care, you're really stretching the word beyond all meaning. What you're doing is you're going to pay people to take care of the elderly and disabled. I mean, it's a social program. Well, we're going to invest in building child care facilities. We're going to invest in upgrading home and community-based care facilities. Yeah, Brian Dees, uh, chairman of the National Economic Council for Biden. Two trillion of infrastructure, a non-infrastructure package based on uh, passed by Memorial Day. That's President Biden's new push. If it passes, it'll be the zero Republican support, even though when it comes to pure tunnels, bridges and roads, he could have easily gotten 60 votes. Please stop pretending Joe Biden is a consensus maker. He's anything but. And Republicans have to find a way to derail this runaway train uh, before he funds a runaway Amtrak train. Number one. Politics need not be a raging fire that destroys everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated or made up. And Joe Biden's broken his own rule 84 days. He's lying about this bill. He is. And Governor Christie, the only one to nail it, as far as I could tell on the Sunday show, to the Georgia election laws. The lies that were along go along with this. The lies and corporate cowards have cost Atlanta the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Did they even read the law? We did, and we'll tell you the facts and how you will see how misplaced the criticism is. And I'll tell you why we all will lose in the end, because people won't distrust, won't trust the election results. Again, if you're on President Trump for contesting the loss in Georgia by 12,000 votes, the losses in Arizona by... Uh, I forgot how it ended up all in end. Then you got to be upset by what's going on right now. Why? First off, what's in the Georgia law? The SB202, as it's called, to say it's Jim Crow on steroids is totally disingenuous. It's a flat-out lie. It mandates precincts hold at least 17 days of early voting. Wow, that sounds terrible and repressive, including two Saturdays. 
with Sunday's optional leading up to the election. Voting locations during the period must be open for at least eight hours and can operate from 7 to 7. That sounds terrible. Several states, including Biden's home state of Delaware, which will not implement it until 2022, do not currently allow any in-person early voting. And plenty like New Jersey offer far fewer than 17 days. Despite Biden saying the bill implements absentee voting restrictions that effectively deny and disenfranchise countless voters... SB 202 leaves in place no excuse absentee voting with a few tweaks. It tightens the window to apply for an absentee ballot to just 67 days and mandates applications, which can now be completed online, be received by election officials at least 11 days before. So you got to request it 11 days before because they got to be able to mail it to you. The bill requires Georgia Secretary of State to mail a blank absentee ballot application online but prohibits a government agency from mailing one to voters unsolicited and requires third-party groups to do and uh, doing so to include a variety of disclaimers. Rather than signature matching, this is what they're doing. Voters will verify their identity by a photocopy of their license, by a voter identification card, which is all free in Georgia, and if a Georgian has neither of those things, pursuant to the Georgia Code, a currently utility bill works. A bank statement works. They just want to make sure you're you. Tell me how that's Jim Crow on steroids. That's what said Chris Christie off. Cut one. I mean, let's talk about what the Georgia law is really about, uh, because we haven't had much of that. Dropbox has now become a permanent part of the Georgia landscape. They were not prior to COVID. They are now. Minimum of 17 days of early voting, including two Saturdays and two optional Sundays. You're going to have all voters being able to have multiple ways to prove who they are. Driver's license, last four numbers, your social security number, even a utility bill or a free ID provided by the state of Georgia. Um, and voting is going to be till from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. as it is right now in Georgia. The water provision, you're not going to give people water. It's sick, right? President Biden, it's sick. You know what he's saying? No electioneering. But you could have stuff there at the precinct. You can't get within 25 feet. Well, in New Jersey, it's 150 feet of a polling place. Stacey Abrams does not want to see a boycott. Quote, I have no doubt that voters of color, particularly black voters, are willing to endure the hardships of boycotts, but I don't think that's necessary. Leaving us behind won't save us. So I ask you to bring your business to Georgia. And if you're already here, stay here and fight if you want some changes in this. But it's not bad. Cut to. I sat here and listened to the president's inaugural address, and I just want a couple of real quick points from it. Politics need not be a raging fire that destroys everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war, and we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated or made up. And Joe Biden's broken his own rule 84 days, and now he's lying to the American people, George. He's lying about this bill. He's lying to the American people about it to cause the raging fire he said he was going to put out. I'm very disappointed. Disappointed, and he's willing to fight and say it. And George Stephanopoulos was dumbfounded because he was hit with facts. And this Joe Biden, who everyone says, you know, might be not the smartest guy, blue-collar Joe, I'm fine with that. You know, if the, the, these Harvard guys and these Yale women, if they're smarter than you, get in line. There's a whole bunch of people smarter than me. But don't pretend like it's it's he's gotten older or he's just not that bright. He knows exactly what he's saying. He's trying to cleave off these different states. They're trying to 
tighten up their voters, voting rules because the pandemic loosened up everything, like in Nevada, like in Arizona, like in Georgia. Not repress Texas. And what he's trying to do is tighten that up. But if you want to get a, uh, H.R. 1 passed and federalize elections and have massive mail-in voting and no voter ID, you believe, you make people like Joe Manchin and American people believe that these Republican states are locking out black people. And the only thing you could do is have the courage to stand up to it. And Joe Biden has to break the, these filibusters to do it. Please tell me you're smarter than that. I know you are. Eric Erickson. He knows what goes on in Georgia as well as anyone. Cut five. Major League Baseball, they don't want to go in Georgia, which has a pretty expansive early voting rules. In fact, now mandatory weekends, thanks to this law. But they're perfectly happy doing business in places like China, which regularly persecutes people. Now, you've got California shutting churches down because of the virus and small businesses. So it looks like Major League Baseball kind of likes authoritarian regimes. 200 business condemned. 200 businesses condemn it. Delta folds for no reason. Coke condemns and say they're focused on supporting federal law. So they're not only condemning, they're focusing on H.R. 1. Please tell me you're not going to buy a Coke today. American Express, BlackRock also condemns. Uh, And comparing it to Jim Crow is horrendous. Listen, I also want to get to what's going on in the world. Nobody better else to talk to than General Jack Keane. Uh, Those Abraham Accords and what was happening in the Middle East was bringing great hope to a region that was hopeless. And now President Biden looking to undo all of it by begging to get back into the Iranian deal. That story's next. Jason Chavitz and I will delve more into this and about Hunter Biden. Does this guy, does anyone care about their father or brother? You got his brother trading off his name in a Florida law firm, and he's not even a lawyer. And then you got his son, who a year ago, he's a crack addict, he admits it. A year ago, there was intervention where his dad was hugging him, saying, please don't do this. What can I do to get you to stop? And he's like, I can't wait for him to let go so I can go do more crack. So listen, a year later, he's reformed and telling everybody, might not be his laptop. It might be his laptop. He doesn't remember. He might do an international deal in Ukraine. He might not. He might have an international, uh, in- international monetary fund in China or might not. He's doing a book. Who would ever do that? Hunter Biden would. General Jack Keen next. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in 
Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So you ask yourself, all right, maybe Iran has taken a series of steps, a series of measures to warrant the United States going back in the deal. Actually, it's been the reverse. They are flouting all of the rules and standards set by the IAEA. Uh, They continue their terrorism in the region. We already have one dead American in Iraq uh, on President Biden's watch uh, through these Shia militias that Iran funds, trains, and equips. Uh, they continue to to try to extort uh, the world uh, through yeah. through this nuclear deal by threatening and harassing. And so you ha- one has to ask himself, have they done anything? Have they done any measures of goodwill to warrant us getting back in the deal? And so far, the answer is, is a resounding no. Morgan Ortega, spokesperson for the State Department under Mike Pompeo. Joining us now, uh, General Jack uh, Keane. General, I wish I wasn't saying this, but tomorrow they'll begin talks in Iran and Vienna. Uh, the other people taking part in this, Russia, uh, the European Union, will be trying to convince Iran to let us back in the deal. This is pathetic. Yeah, I, I, I agree what's taking place here, uh, Brian. I mean, it, it, the administration seems to have such low expectations uh, going back into these negotiations. Uh, gone are the discussions that were taking place a number of weeks ago when the administration was saying, well, our intent is to lengthen the deal and strengthen the deal. And, and they explained what that meant. What that meant was... Uh, Certainly, they were going to extend the sunset clauses. I think there should be a complete prohibition of nuclear weapons permanently as opposed to setting the time. But that's what they meant by that. And number two, they were going to hold Iran accountable uh, in these negotiations and increase the prohibition on ballistic missile development, which is not a part of the nuclear deal, and also deal with their malign behavior in the region. Gone from the public discourse now or any mention of that. What the administration appears to be saying is we're going back into negotiations with the Iranians and the other uh, signatories uh, to the deal with the singular purpose in mind of having the Iranians come back into full compliance with the original deal, which they are out of compliance right now. And then in return for that, we would lift the sanctions. That seems to be the implication. That's an absolute disaster as far as I'm concerned because it doesn't do anything to solve the problems that we had with this, with the original deal. I remember that President Obama could not get this deal past the Senate, which is what, which is, what is required of treaties. You go to the Senate and they have to approve it because the vote – among Democrats and Republicans would have been against him. That is why he took the deal to the U.N. and got a resolution out of the United Nations. So we have significant bipartisan support here concerned about these opening negotiations with the Iranians. And we may be in a position once again to give things away to the Iranians, as opposed to really establishing some iron-class prohibition. And you were so optimistic because you've never seen the uh, the Iranians so much on their heels. They had the civil unrest. Their economy was collapsing. 
There was, um, you know, there's a sense that their president was inept and people that cut that deal were under pressure. A senior Israeli official this morning says, if this is American policy, we're concerned. Nowhere in the entire interview does Mali say the goal is to prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons. Nowhere does he accuse the Iranians of any bad behavior. Nowhere in the interview does he talk about the importance of consultations with American allies in the region. And Mali, of course, is Rob Mali. Uh, uh, from and that was an interview we did on PBS. The world is watching weakness. Yeah, uh, and Robert Malley, uh, uh, of course, is the the administration's uh, envoy to Iran, uh, working in the State Department, and he was also one of our one of our major negotiators for the original JCPOA deal back in 2015. This is the issue. Uh, that has concerned me the most with the Biden administration when it comes to national security and foreign policy. By and large, they are accepting the tough stand that the Trump administration took on China and are moving what appears to be in a favorable direction here. Uh, it remains to be seen because there's, there's going to be uh, tests of the Biden administration coming in the South China Sea and also over Taiwan and will, whether they'll stand up to it, whether they'll back up their rhetoric. But here in the Middle East, uh, this is a huge opportunity to absolutely co- commit strategic blunder here because so much has changed in the Middle East. And the, the reality is Iran is is a clear threat to the nations in, in the Middle East. And that is why they've come together as Arab nations with the Israelis in normalizing relationship, being driven by this threat. And, and number two is the sanctions – up until the deal that China's making with, with Iran, uh, the economic deal that they just signed together, uh, actually had the Iranians back on their heels. So we have leverage here because of the Arabs and the Israelis and also uh, because, of, uh, because of the crippling sanctions on the Iranian regime. And we should not be just throwing that leverage away simply to get the Iranians to come back to the original deal. That. That's a strategic mistake if, if that's all we have to show for it. Absolutely. Uh, what about this, General? More than 5,000 Chinese groups will be deployed in Iran, and they're going to start building a military base and have a Chinese presence. Beijing will invest $400 billion in Iran over the next 25 years, a far-reaching agreement that certainly increased the Chinese strategic influence in the Middle East, especially when you look at their presence in Pakistan. I mean, man, what a far – first we, we had to convince China to stop buying oil from Iran, and we wonder if they were doing it. Now they're going to establish a, a perfect presence in Iran. Yeah, well, China's Achilles heel is the Middle East because they, they're dependent on uh, Middle East oil somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 percent. And they recognize that the flow of oil from the Middle East to them is, is a pipeline. And in any – military confrontation that they have with the United States, the United States would certainly uh, exploit that situation and, and shut down. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. And that flow to them. So they recognize this. And 
And that is why they're doing the, the Iranian deal. They know the Iranians need cash infusion as a result of the crippling sanctions. So they're going to help them. And, and that's a sad thing to see. But that's the reality of it. The second thing is they want to have influence over the distribution of oil in the Middle East. And not just with Iran, you know, whose oil they're getting right now anyway, uh, but also – the Chinese have uh, relationships with the other Arab states in the region in, in, in providing them aid. I'm talking about Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and the other Gulf states. For the same reason, strategically, the Middle East truly matters to them, and the flow of oil matters. As, as a matter of fact, while we're independent of, of, of the Middle East now, we don't have the dependency we had in the past, and that's a good thing. It is still U.S. national interest that the oil flow in the Middle East continues throughout the world because it affects the global economy. And if it was shut down, that would adversely impact the United States economy. General, thanks so, so yes, much. China yeah. is a player. Yeah. They have become a player. Absolutely. General Jack Keene, always great to get the instant analysis on this breaking news. Thank you so much. Jason Chavitz next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You grew up in politics. Did you not think you might be putting a big bullseye on yourself? I didn't fully comprehend the level to which this former administration and the people around it would go. Mm -hmm. The difference between the politics that you're talking about in terms of the last, uh, you know, 40 years is a very different game. And I don't ever want to, again, to, to, to hand a weapon to people that would use it, uh, in a illegitimate way that they used the weapon of me against my dad. Right. Uh, he's a victim. Hunter Biden, a crack addict as late as 2020. Now we're in 2021, two months in. He wants us to read his story as if it's a story of redemption. Redemption, you basically have in the book, according to the excerpt that I read, unless it was hijacked, talking about how you had a family intervention in 2020 while your dad's on the doorstep of being president. Your dad was there, 78 years old. He's fragile, to say the least. He's hugging you, saying, don't do crack. He's like, all I want to do is go do crack again. You're not talking about 2000. You're talking about like six months ago. And he's writing a story of redemption? It's nuts. Especially because it's, everything he has has done is so consequential to who the president is and might be compromised now that he's in this office. Joining us now is Jason Chavitz. His book's out tomorrow, certainly a bestseller. It's going to be called uh, They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. Jason, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. All right, so that was the new cut I wanted to play, but not the most sensational cut. First off, he's like surprised that politics made him look bad on the Burisma board. Your witness. I mean, Joe Biden has been involved in politics since I was, you know, playing soccer at five years old. So don't don't think you're the newbie who's the victim. I mean, he's the one that went into the United States military and got kicked out of the military for for drug abuse. Um, and the reason people are diving into this isn't because of his drug abuse or addiction. It's because of the cloud that he created with Burisma and Ukraine and and what was going on with China. And 
with no qualifications, sitting on boards that he has nothing to do about, flying out on Air Force Two and meeting with people. I mean, all of this is why people are are thinking that the family business there for the Bidens is inappropriate. You think so? And what about the what about the decision making process? I'd love to see his chief of staff that said, I have a good idea. Now that my dad's trying to make some political gains, let's try to bring him back to the biggest scandal that the Democratic media ignored. Let me try to bring Hunter Biden out on a book tour. It's gotta yeah. be the president's worst nightmare since his laptop was discovered by a local Delaware uh, local Delaware repair shop. There's an invoice with a signature on it, but yet this is the exchange on CBS. Cut 32. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's is, this is. I really a, don't know. Okay. The answer is that's you don't know. Yes or no? If the laptop, I don't have was any yours. idea. I have no idea. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly it, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that that was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. Oh, my God. Well, it could be, Brian, that he <laughs> dropped it off, signed for it, left it, and never picked it back up because he's in the midst of perhaps doing maybe a few drugs that he shouldn't have been doing. I don't know. But, you know, I, for the national media and for the social media companies to suppress this story, That's I the think biggest was fundamental. That, right. that was so wrong. Look, everybody listening right now knows somebody addicted, and hopefully they're not, but they know somebody in their family is addicted or their friends. And, you know, it just the decision-making that is involved in that and the amount of people that get damaged from that, that's a different story. But he's addicted to some of the most addictive drugs in the history of man. He's yeah. addicted to crack, which means I do enough cocaine, it's not good enough. I got to get higher. And then I do, he's addicted to heroin. You're talking about for decades. And he's talking about it while knowing that he's involved with an international monetary fund, a, a fund that implicates his dad, the big guy. When is he going to get asked about Tony Bobolinsky? When did you sit down with somebody to haul him in for his international monetary expertise to set up funds in Eastern Europe and in China? I mean, this guy is bringing up the most horrific issues. It's as if, if, as if Richard Nixon came back, wanted to run for president again, and said, first thing I want to do is let's bring up Watergate. Yeah, yeah, and he's shocked that these questions get asked as if it's some vast right-wing conspiracy. He's out on a book tour, for goodness sake. Hasn't been asked the tough questions, but you'll also notice in those interviews, he hasn't denied the content of anything. He's just saying, well, you know, it might be Russian disinformation, and him might, and Adam Schiff and the others are out there saying that. But you have Rick Grinnell and John uh John Ratcliffe, who've both been the director of national intelligence, and both have said there's zero, zero intelligence that says that this is a, a Russian plot against the Bidens. But I, I he, this guy brings it upon himself, and he does not deny any of the content. The other thing that I thought was interesting, Brian, is that he said that he talks to his dad every single night, at least once a day. And yet he says we've never, Joe Biden says he's never, ever spoken with Hunter about any sort of business. Which he did say, I hope you know what you're doing, son. He said it in a magazine. Just real quick on this, because I want to get to another reason why you wrote your book, um, which is oh, don't let a crisis go to waste. But on the Hunter Biden thing, he was just asked flat out. Uh, he was asked flat out, is it your laptop? Again, did you drop it off at a repair shop? Again, it's a real quick answer, but cut 33. 
And you, you didn't drop off a laptop to no. be repaired no. in Delaware? Not no. that I remember at all. At all. <laughs> so, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see? That I remember. So, now he's using crack as an escape out. Because they said that he walked in, signed for it, and on the, on the, on the laptop, you know, the Russians are so uh, crafty. They put a Bo Biden Foundation bumper sticker on it. And by the way, Adam Schiff was one of the people who said this is classic Kremlin. Yeah, th- th- there is no intelligence whatsoever that, that corroborates that. And again, no denial about the content, no denial about the pictures that were released. No, di- And th- they did a great job there at the New York Post of getting this information out. It was a legitimate story, and the national media should have never suppressed it. And, and the social media should go back and and allow those stories to be released. So let's let's talk about infrastructure. 2.2 trillion. Is this what you're talking about when you say never let a crisis go to waste? Only 10% of it actually goes to uh traditional bridges and roads and tunnels. Uh they say mo- most of it goes to programs that have nothing at all to do with infrastructure, but they don't seem to care. They have a slight advantage in the house and they're 50-50 in the Senate. They're going to spend 200, $620 billion on transportation, uh, and a lot of it uh, green. $650 billion broadband and green energy and water, upgrading homes and schools. They're retrofitting homes and schools and buildings. $400 billion for home and community-based care for elders and disabled. $589 billion for workforce development. What is that? While well, upping the international, the corporate tax rate to 28%. Now it goes above China and above Europe. And they're going to jam it down our throats again, Jason. This is the Green New Deal with uh, they put some lipstick on that pig and called, you know, the Green New Deal. They figured out that America won't swallow it. They, they couldn't get it sold. So this is what they do. That's why I wrote the book. They never let a crisis go to waste. The truth about disaster liberalism, the, the reality is what they do is they take a crisis, whether fabricated or, re, or real, and they figure out how to sell it. They pull test it. And then they go attach all these barnacles to it of things that they can never, ever do otherwise. They attack us on guns, on our faith and ability to gather. I think they're, I have a chapter called uh, Rigging Elections for a Generation. And you got to call out these people. And we get very specific about the names out there. Not only Pelosi and Schumer uh, and Whitmer and Cuomo and Newsom and Biden and Harris. It actually goes back and starts with, with Barack Obama. And so you've got to call it out. You've got to see it. But what you come to the conclusion is they want more government, more control, more taxes, more money. And less liberty. That is their formula. Yeah, that's true. Chamber of Commerce calls the bill dangerously misguided. The National Association of Manufacturers said it would fundamentally undermine our ability to lead this recovery, lead us out of this recovery. They got 15 years of higher taxes to pay for eight years of spending. So here's what AOC says. Cut 13. If we could wave a magic wand and there and the progressives in the House were able to name any number and get it through, um, which obviously isn't the case, but if we're looking at ideals and what we think is the actual investment, we're talking about realistically uh, $10 trillion over 10 years. $10 trillion. Yeah, sure. Why not? Hey, yeah. You know, it's never, ever enough for them because they worship at the altar called government that's what they believe is the solution to everything they don't want you to you know one of the bills that passed before one of the insertions by pelosi over there in the house is that states 
places like Utah where we run a surplus, you cannot cut taxes. No. Yep. I mean, that, that that's this is a that's scam. not constitutional. Is, that's why people have to understand the how they do this. This is trickery. There's schemes. There's all kinds of stuff that they use. They've been planning this for years, and now they finally had their opportunity. Uh, COVID provided a lot of it. Some of these other fictitious uh, scams, you know, like, oh, my gosh, we got a crisis at the post office. That's what Nancy Pelosi called Congress back in the session, not because of COVID, because of the post office. And if you recall, they all came rushing back because they wanted to change the rules of the election. In some cases, they were able to do it. Jason, I know you're going to appreciate this next soundbite. And to me, it's the most underappreciated soundbite I've heard because it's refreshingly candid and honest. Here's Charles Barkley. This whole thing with the Georgia voting law that we're talking about, it just fundamentally, I am so tired of hearing, I got, I, we have to hire somebody who's Cablasian. We have to hire someone that's Asian. We have to hire someone that's black. It's got to be a woman. Uh, and if there's a problem with uh, police officers, it's got to be race. Charles Barkley heard all that, especially in Georgia, and said this. But I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. They divide and conquer, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And their only job is, hey, let's make these people not like each other. We don't live in their neighborhoods. We all got money. Let's make the whites and blacks not like each other. Let's make rich people and poor people not like each other. Uh, let's, Let's scramble the middle class. Again, isn't he right? I mean, it's a nonstop. Everything's black and white. No matter what happens, it's got to be a race angle to it. There's a shooting. It's got to be a race angle to it. Uh, there's an accident. It's got to be a race angle to it. Uh, there's a speech. There's got to be. He's only talking to white people. Only talking to black people. You know, I think it's by and large true. I don't think conservatives have taken that point of view. I think they have uh, a a view of personal responsibility and liberty that kind of just says, "Leave us alone." Where Democrats, I I mean, clearly in this book, I lay it out time and time again. They use that race card to go and try to divide people, get them fighting. I I totally agree with the spirit in which uh, Charles Barkley is approaching. He's one of the funniest guys that I've been in basketball. But I think what people love about him is his authenticity, and he throws it out. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. They don't want us to come together. That's why Joe Biden goes out and says he's going to be the great uniter. Does nothing like that in the first 75 days of his administration. In fact, him saying Jim Crow on steroids is such a flat-out lie. It is so disingenuous. Either he is ridiculously naive, uh, very, very slow— has been given terrible information, or he is um, crazy like a fox. Or all of the above. I mean, I, I think he's a bit like that. I think he's got some puppeteers feeding some things. And they uh, Democrats, I know, they don't do anything without testing it. And I think they that's the way they bludgeon corporate America. They go after the Major League Baseballs and the Coca-Colas and Delta Airlines of the world by screaming at them that we're going to come after you and call you racist. And, and that's how you're going to move. And if you don't, if you don't pay the ransom, guess what? We're going to come after you. But, you know, Jack Welch and the CEOs of yesteryear never would have budged on that. Yeah. Because they know they're not guilty. 
they, you know, the smart companies would actually approach it much like Michael Jordan. They would take the Michael Jordan approach and they'd say, you know what? Republicans and Democrats both buy shoes. My job is to build tennis shoes. Delta should look at this and say, our job is to fly people from point A to point B, making it a great experience and have luggage that gets there on time, which they generally do pretty well. And stay out of this. But they didn't. They took the bait. Yeah, but they also did. Uh, Marco Rubio pointed out uh, very the, the hypocrisy so clear with Delta. They have all these intricate deals with China, who I, I don't believe really has voting integrity. Oops. Any voting at all. Yeah. And yet they're going to uh, look at Georgia's election law without reading it. And just condemn it. Over 200 companies have condemned the Georgia law. They should be embarrassed. Major League Baseball should be embarrassed. They embarrassed themselves. I got people walking around saying I'm no longer watching this weekend. You kidding? They should be all happy baseball started. But now because of this All-Star Game uh, revocation, now everyone's reconsidering what they're watching again. Yeah, Incredible. I was ex- actually excited for baseball, but now I'm like, I could care less. I'm not I'm not watching. I'm not going to give them a dime of my attention. I can't wait, though, to see where they think they're going to put that All-Star game. Which state do they – now they're going to make it all about politics because where are they going to put that All-Star game? And who are they going to put up as, well, these people do elections better than, than Georgia does or Texas does? Right. Hey, Jason, congratulations on the book. I know you can pre-order it right now. Uh, they never let a crisis go to waste, uh, but it's out officially tomorrow. Jason, go get them. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right, Congressman. one 408 7669 I got some calls. I want to hear what you have to say. It's been a long weekend. Brian, kill me, Joe. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I want to get to the phones as quick as I can. Ben is in Jacksonville. Hey, Ben. What's on WOKV? Hey, Ben. Good, good, good morning, Patriot. I know you're quick to properly, properly point out the falsities of public pronouncements that hit us every day. I want to point out one of yours. Okay. You state that in Northeast Florida, we're pleasured and blessed to have you three hours a day. Actually, in WOKV land, it's four hours a day as the enlightened program director puts your first hour back on between six and seven, and it's widely followed, hugely popular. Wow, I did not know that. That's fantastic. I appreciate that, Ben. So when you look at what's happening in Florida, did you see your governor get skewered by 60 Minutes? Of course, and I mean, wrongfully so. But then again, it just increases his popularity here. We live in a cosmopolitan state. Lots of northerners like myself from Ohio live here, and he is extremely popular. A landslide victory should he choose to run for governor again, and I think he is uh, doing a very, very ominous task. A lot of criticism from those that don't appreciate freedom, but he is holding this up magnificently. But I will say this. Uh, I think that he's got to push back on this story because he's got facts on his side. And I'm amazed that when 60 Minutes tried to decide to pick a governor that has a little bit of controversy, they wouldn't pick a governor with nine accusers who's got a $4 million signing bonus to write a book on how to beat the pandemic, had staffers on salary writing it for him, as well as a favorite son policy when it comes to testing and the uh, vaccine. And they go after DeSantis rather than somebody in their own backyard of New York City. What a joke. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We'll do a simulcast on FBN, one of the fastest growing channels in all of cable, with Stuart Varney in a matter of moments. And we're going to have an interview with Congressman uh, Kim Banks uh, shortly. Uh, then also Michael Goodwin is standing by. We have a lot to discuss coming off uh, Easter weekend. Many of you are off. Have, have time to spend with your family. Uh, I hope much better than last year. I trust. We will see because the pandemic not done yet, we're understanding, according to the medical experts. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So are we in a fourth wave right now? Well, I believe we are, and I believe that uh, in some ways we're almost in a new pandemic. The only good news about this is that the current vaccines are effective against this particular variant, B117. Dr. Michael Osterholm talking about a fourth wave. That's what some are saying as COVID variants hit middle America and cases go up, especially here in New York. The best defenses are vaccines, but should a vaccine passport be necessary? We'll talk about it. Number two. The infrastructure of care, you're really stretching the word beyond all meaning. What you're doing is you're going to pay people to take care of the elderly and disabled. I mean, it's a social program. Well, we're going to invest in building child care facilities. We're going to invest in upgrading home and community-based care facilities. Uh, Brian Deese, uh, chairman of the National Economic Council. So, $2 trillion on infrastructure, a non-infrastructure package based on Memorial Day, passed by Memorial Day. That's when it comes down to pure tunnels and bridges and roads. They'd get Republican support, but they put the new Green Deal in the middle of it and quadrupled the price of it. Number one. Politics need not be a raging fire that destroys everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated or made up. And Joe Biden's broken his own rule 84 days. He's lying about this bill. He's lied about a lot. The Georgia election law lies. Those lies and and corporate and corporate cowards have costed land of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Did they even read the law? We did, and we'll tell you the facts and how you will see how misplaced the criticism is, and I'll tell you why we'll all lose in the end. Because people are going to lose faith in the process. Democrats are going to say, well, we lost those Senate seats because Republicans changed the rules. And now you got a governor who's now got a galvanized Republican Party in Georgia, and you have a just a spineless baseball you have just major league baseball in one swoop hurt themselves more than they possibly could with even a big time uh, scandal. So this is unbelievable that they would pull out, especially when you consider there's nothing really scandalous in this Georgia election law. They're going to do the same thing in Texas. They're doing the same thing in about thirty plus states. With me right now is Michael Goodwin. Michael, can you believe baseball cave like that? 
Good morning, Brian. Um, it is shocking, I have to say, and particularly when you look at the hypocrisy. Uh, as others have pointed out, uh, if you want to pick up tickets at a stadium that you've purchased in advance, you need to show a photo ID. Uh, so you, you need to you need to show the photo ID, of course, as everyone has says, to fly in an airplane, to get into any government building, to drive a car, uh, to vote. Even in Georgia, the the ID voting restrictions, all they have done, they already exist. All they've done is extend them to absentee voting. Uh, so do you have to? verify in some way, not with your signature only, but with some identification, whether it be the the numbers on your driver's license or anything like that, that you are who you say they are. Now, if, that's, if that is essential to pick up baseball tickets, how can baseball not think that it's essential to honestly vote? I mean, this idea, uh, Brian Kemp, actually, the governor of Georgia said it very well, Mark, uh, Mark. Brian, that the uh, that the new law um, makes it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Well, if you're against that, what do you want? You want it to be easier to cheat? Uh, that's the only conclusion left because of the ridiculous uh, outrage over this law. And to use the term like Jim Crow, Jim Crow laws, 1877, lawmaker, Democratic lawmakers in Georgia – have a poll tax. They would later require a literacy test. You'd have to pay a fee before casting a ballot, all to marginalize black voters. I mean, that was – and your Confederate soldiers didn't have to do anything. They got an automatic exemption on the whole literacy test. That is, that is heinous. That is a black stain on American history, no question. But to say it's Jim Crow on steroids, what it, could, could he be that clueless or, di- or devious? It's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, the fact that we, that we even have to ask whether the president of the United States is clueless uh, is a troubling uh, reality that we wonder, is this really Joe Biden talking or is Joe Biden just sort of an empty vehicle that uh, all the leftists pour their, their vitriol and their socialism ideas into and he, and he repeats them? Because he is repeating all of these. He is saying these things. He's saying it's Jim Crow on steroids. Uh, he's saying it's Jim Crow 2.0. He's the one proposing this crazy infrastructure bill, so-called infrastructure bill that you were just discussing. So it, it, is, it is a fairly serious situation already, Brian, and we're, and we're so short into this administration that we are doubting whether Joe Biden is all there. Well, I'll say this. The, the $1.9 trillion had very little to do with uh, stimulus, had very right. little to do, uh, so we know that. And now we have an infrastructure package that only has 10% of it is infrastructure. The rest is pure party agenda. How much? More, how many more passes are we going to give this guy? Here's Pete Buttigieg on what he plans on doing with the infrastructure. How fast they want to jam it down our throats. Cut eight. We know that this is entering a legislative process where we're going to be hearing from both sides of the aisle, and I think you'll, you'll find the president's got a very open mind. But time is of the essence. So uh, we'll look at these ideas on how to pay for it. We'll look at ideas uh, on uh, where the investments ought to be, too. But the president is hoping for major progress from Congress before Memorial Day. Uh, and we can't allow this thing to, to just keep dragging on because the need is there today. Keep dragging on. He presented it Wednesday. Uh, and <laughs> They, they're going to try to do this on simple reconciliation. Do you believe that? 
Well, look, I, I think the Democrats are operating under the assumption that they will lose one or both houses of Congress in 2022. And so they are on a sprint to get to jam everything in as soon as they can to try to see the economy uh, be goosed uh, with all of this stimulus money. It will, however it's spent, it will be spent, or most of it. And so they are thinking that this will lift the economy, this will lift their uh, approval ratings, and they may be able to stave off uh, the Republicans in 2022. But if nothing else, they will get these things done in the first two years. I think that's how they're approaching this calendar. I want to get to two more things, and one is Hunter Biden. But next, i got to tell you, I watched 60 Minutes last night, and they accused uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida basically choosing areas where his donors were and where his, fa- where his supporters were over uh, working-class communities, black communities. So as the, he is not going to cooperate, he knows it's going to be a hit piece. He probably should have. They also said he picked Publix as a way to get the vaccine to everyone, make it accessible. They said because they were donors, as opposed to they're the only, they had nothing to do with him being selecting them as a, uh, as a location. They were built to handle this, and that's why they got it. It's amazing to me that 60 Minutes would pick a governor— involved in scandal and wouldn't pick a governor in their own state where their headquarters is that has nine sexual assault accuser, harassment accusers, has somebody who is pre- using preferences on testing of his family as well as vaccines and wrote a book using his staff to write it and got a $4 million advance while leading the country in deaths and cases. Why would they reach to Florida, Michael Goodwin? Well, they're obviously doing the work of the Democratic Party. Uh, look, 60 Minutes, you know, we talk about it as a venerated uh, old brand, but it is no longer the same 60 Minutes, much as the media is no longer the same media. Uh, Lester Holt said last week that, uh, that we don't really need to deal with both sides anymore. Uh, this is the new way the media looks at things. There's only one side for the media now, and it's so they they've popped puffed up uh, Andrew Cuomo. They're trying to save Gavin Newsom. And part of that agenda is destroy Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is the anti-Andrew Cuomo yep. and, uh, and Gavin Newsom, just as uh, Cuomo in early on was the anti-Trump uh, for the left. Now, they, now they're, they don't have any heroes now. Cuomo is imploded. Newsom is uh, subject to recall. So they have to go after the other side. They have to try to dirty up Ron DeSantis so that uh, while their guys are falling, uh, at least they can take down somebody on the other side. I think that's how they view this. I don't think there's any honest journalism about it. This is pure partisanship. Florida ranks number four in states with the highest percentage of COVID-19 vaccinations. Uh, They rank ahead of New York. When it comes to why he picked Publix as a place, a central location for places, it's because Publix has 223 stores, as opposed to Walmart with 42, as opposed to Winn-Dixie with 36, Whole Foods with 15, Shelby Markets with Let's, uh, or I guess they are, uh, that according to Shelby Markets. So that is part of the reason why they did it. So they fled to seniors instead of teachers. Okay, that's what he wants to do. He thinks seniors are the most vulnerable. I think he is right. And and for them to go after him and have this, to then them work on this for months is unbelievable to me. The, the, the better story is Cuomo. By, by any account, the better story is Cuomo. If they don't do him next week, I would think they, they would have trouble staying on the air in normal circumstances. 
Well, you know, Brian, I think there's a, there's another element to this also, and it is that, that that the left is acting, the left media is acting like an enforcer for the uh, the White House view of the world. So everybody has to conform. So if you don't do it the right way, if you don't have the, the stay-at-home orders, if you don't have a mask mandate, all of these things now, so whatever the White House wants, it's up to the media to go out and enforce that. They, they, they treat it as a talking point and as, a, and as an assignment almost. So let's go after DeSantis. Let's go after the states that don't conform to our view of the world. You know? But if the media is going to play that game, I think we should play it right back. So CNN is headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. Are they going to stay in that racist Jim Crow state yep. another day? I mean, these people, if they don't practice what they preach, we can assume they don't really believe it themselves. And baseball should kick out the Braves, Rangers, and and. and- uh, the Rangers and Astros, because they're upset with Texas, too, now. Meanwhile, let's switch to Hunter Biden. You wrote about this. Hunter Biden has the audacity to do a book tour after almost destroying his dad's candidacy. Talks about an intervention that took place less than a year ago when he was was on crack and heroin. I doubted he kicked it, if anybody knows anything about uh, addicts. And decides to roll out a book tour while not having an answer to the most pressing question that revolves around his status. And that is... The laptop with the emails and the horrific pictures. Is it his? Cut 32. Was that your laptop? For real? I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... Is, this is I really a, don't know okay. if the answer is. That's you don't know yes or no if the laptop was I don't have any yours. idea. I have no idea. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. Is he out of his mind? Russian intelligence with a with his laptop at a Delaware repair store. You know, Brian, the CBS interviewer uh, I think made an honest effort there to just to ask the question about the laptop, but. Knowing on the likelihood that he was not going to give her a straight answer, I think she should have prepared the follow-ups. And the follow-ups, it's not so much about the laptop. It's about the contents of the laptop. It's about the specific emails, such as, was your father going to get a 10% cut? Was he the big guy who was going to get a secret 10% cut in your deal with the Chinese energy company? Tony Baba, I mean, Tony Bobolinsky says it was your father, that he spoke to your father about it. So is that true or not? I mean, these, these emails that are here, did you get, as Senator Ron Johnson said, uh, upwards of $11 million from Chinese officials after the so-called deal fell apart? Why did Rob Walker, your partner, whose wife worked for Jill Biden, why did he get wires of $6 million? Did you get any of that money? And when you wrote that your father required you to give him half his salary, does that, did you mean that? Does that apply to the Chinese money as well? Those are the questions right. I think that need to be asked. Absolutely. Here's Cut 31. He covered it a little bit. Uh, we, they glazed over at CBS this morning. Cut 31. At the end of last year, Biden acknowledged an ongoing investigation by federal authorities for potential tax law violations. Is your legal team working on any kind of a plea deal? Oh, no. I am absolutely certain that what we're doing is is being completely cooperative with whoever is asking from a, from any authority whatsoever. Mm-hmm. 
The implication all through the campaign was that your efforts had somehow benefited your father financially. Have you ever given your father money from any of your no. business ventures? No. Nothing? Nothing. Ever. Not a nickel? Not a nickel. Directly or indirectly? Directly or indirectly. Not a nickel ever. 100%. No. Never. But the follow-up would have been for Michael Goodwin, who's the big guy in the email and the text messages with Tony Bobulinski then. Real yes. quick. Yeah, and well, and why did you say that he required you to give him half of your income? You yeah. know, I mean, I mean so the, the emails lay out the, the plan. The email, emails on the laptop explain a lot of things. And if we're going to say that those things aren't true, then I think Hunter Biden has to tell us why he thinks that he wrote and participated in is not true. So far, mm-hmm. he hasn't been asked point blank about the things on the laptop. Michael, thanks so much. So much to talk about. And you did uh, fill the airways with a lot of knowledge and great insight. I hope he sits down with you. Michael, I don't Uh, think it's likely, but I hope he does. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. And next is your calls. Then Congressman Jim Banks. Don't move. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I want to get to the phone call as quick as I can. Mark's listen to WHIO in Ohio. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Uh, Brian, excuse me. Sorry. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to say I'm an Ohio resident. Been here, been here for most of my life. Um, we've had voter ID laws for some time now. Yeah. No one's disenfranchised. Nope. You can. You have to. You have to prove who you are on an absentee ballot. No matter what. Yeah. If you don't. You don't get the ballot. It's that simple. And the I don't see anybody I complaining. Colin, it's racist. Correct. Well, and I was I was going to follow up on the racist part there. If you take the race card away from the Democrats, they're an empty vessel completely. They, they are nothing. They're always about so. oppression, the, un, uh, the, uh, the unworthiness of American society, and they're going to fix it. They're going to fix our past by destroying our present. And they screwed up our past. They were the ones with the Ku Klux Klan. They were the one. There was a Democratic Party that had the South in the, uh, were leading the South in the Civil War. It was the Republicans up until the 1960s, the one fighting for African-American rights. It was all happening down there. Nobody points out that Jim Crow is a Democratic brainchild and the civil rights, the LBJ reached to the Republican Party to bring him across the finish line on civil rights reform. So uh, I appreciate that, Mark, especially in Ohio. Everyone, all eyes are going to be on you at that Senate race with, with uh, Rob Portman stepping aside. When we come back, Congressman Jim Banks, on the GOP's need to be the working class party right now. Corporate America's abandoned them. Beat them to it by getting the men and women in hard hats to join your party. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
We know that this is entering a legislative process where we're going to be hearing from both sides of the aisle, and I think you'll, you'll find the president's got a very open mind. But time is of the essence. So uh, we'll look at these ideas on how to pay for it. We'll look at ideas uh, on uh, where the investments ought to be, too. But the president is hoping for major progress from Congress before Memorial Day. Uh, and we can't allow this thing to, to just keep dragging on because the need is there today. And they're going to pass it without Republican support. Let's not uh, pretend any different. That's the Secretary of Transportation, uh, Pete Buttigieg. And uh, they got $1.9 trillion. The problem is only 10 percent of this goes to infrastructure, maybe even less. The rest is the Green New Deal. The rest is elder care. Uh, the rest is a Democratic agenda uh, wish list. Congressman Jim Bank joins us now. Uh, Congressman, you, you've been writing about the need to win over the working class and the blue-collar workers if the Republicans are going to be successful, as corporate America seems to have just sold their souls to Democrats. Are you worried that this policy will win over working class because he's giving away so much? Yeah, well, hey, good to be with you. I mean, this, this uh, new uh, so-called infrastructure plan um, <laughs> that has nothing to do with infrastructure, by the way, will really hurt America's middle class and working working families in this country. And the re- the reason why is because it doesn't just raise corporate tax rates, uh, by the way, higher than communist China and uh, even even higher than the, most of the rest of the industrialized world in a way that would incentivize businesses to move their their jobs offshore, move their companies to, to China and uh, flood the market with, ch- with cheap Chinese goods and hurt American workers that way. But there are other provisions in this bill as well. I mean, the the uh, the inheritance tax uh, stepped up basis reforms would hurt would really hurt uh, the family farm, small businesses in small towns like like my hometown, uh, where I am at the moment. Um, if you pass that family business on from one generation uh, to the next, you're now going to be taxed at such a high rate that many of this, these businesses will have to these families will have to sell the business to pay the tax. Mm-hmm. That's in this Biden tax plan and this infrastructure deal. It's bad for the middle class, bad for uh, working class people. It might sound good because the Biden folks try to make this sound like we're taxing corporations and rich people. But these taxes are really going to be passed on to you and me. Yeah, listen to Senator Roy Blunt yesterday saying, listen, you could have a deal here. Cut 12. I think there's an easy win here for the White House if they would take that win, which is make this an infrastructure package, which is about 30 percent of the $2.25 trillion they're talking about spending, uh, my advice to the White House has been take that bipartisan win, do this in a more traditional infrastructure way, and then if you want to force the rest of the package uh, on Republicans in the Congress and the country, you could certainly do that. You'd still have all the tools available for what is clearly going to turn out to be another purely partisan exercise. I, I think it's a big mistake for the administration. So and he and he's going to try to deal with it, but if they're going to put all this other stuff in there that doesn't belong in there, how are you going to negotiate with that? Yeah, well, at this point, it, it, it's pretty clear Democrats are hell bent on doing this without a single Republican vote, without any, any input at all from Republicans. And if they can make up a fake uh, a tool through a made-up reconciliation process or opportunity that doesn't uh, that really doesn't exist, if they can do it that way and get it done, they're going to do it. But I think the senator is onto something. I mean, there's more money in this uh, so-called infrastructure deal to pay for electric cars than there is for roads, bridges, ports, airports, 
any type of true infrastructure that you can list or imagine combined, there's more money in this deal for, for electric cars. This is a payback to Silicon Valley for helping get Joe Biden in the White House and uh, for, for putting Democrats in power. And that's that's what it is. It's good for big cities, Democrat-run uh, cities, and uh, it's bad for Main Street America. It does. But you talk about Main Street America. That's what you think this party's got to focus on. That's what Donald Trump let people know. That's the future. Corporate America doesn't like you guys. Uh, the Hollywood doesn't like you guys. Uh, rich people feel as though I'm going to pay off other people to leave me alone. So what, how, does, how do Republicans continue with Donald Trump started, with or without him? Yeah, you know, Brian, I, I wrote a memo to uh, Kevin McCarthy, Republican leader, last week just about this. I said, look, we, we, we have a gift that's been given to us by Donald Trump who made the Republican Party the party of the working class for the first time since Reagan. And even even the statistics show that even more so. I mean, Reagan had Reagan Democrats. Uh, Nixon had the silent majority. Donald Trump made the Republican Party the party of the working class because he appealed to them. His agenda was directed at putting the interest of hardworking uh, men and women and, and working families uh, first. And that and because of that, we have a we have we have a gift that's been given to us, but it's still wrapped up. And I'm, I'm concerned that if Republicans don't open that, that box and, and own it and, and, and do everything we can to make the Republican Party the party of the working class permanently, the, the Democrats are going to figure it out and take it away from us. But it's, it's, it's simple to me. I mean, if we, if we, if we adopt the, the Trump agenda, focus on strong borders, immigration policies that put American workers first, if we focus on tackling uh, the threat of, of big tech on free speech censorship of of normal working Americans and what they're what they're doing to transform our way of life, if we put the interests of Main Street over the interests of, of Wall Street, um, if, if we uh, if we do all of that and more, then I think we can keep the the working class as a permanent uh, coalition in the Republican Party. Politics are different. I mean, Donald Trump shifted the paradigm today. I mean, if you look at the campaign donations to Joe Biden for president, his top five donors were big tech executives. Wall Street is clearly on the side of the Democrat Party. And that's OK with me if Republicans make uh, make working class voters our focus and uh, and and own that coalition. We're going to win elections and we're going to win majorities in 22 and win back the White House in 24. And you won't do it without the Hispanic vote. And everyone said, if you bring up border security, there's going to be a turnoff for Hispanics. That means that you have a double standard, southern border over northern border, white people over Hispanic people. And that's just not true. Donald Trump went in there and said, I'm building the wall. Uh, there's got to be a right way and wrong way to come here. And he won over eight communities in Texas, mostly Hispanic, by the border that he did not win in 2016, and the Republicans have not won in the past. It, it's so true, and it's because the who is the working class? I mean, the working class is 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 uh, Hispanic, it's African American, it's uh, it's Asian American. The wor- working class America, the people who who go to jobs and and work shifts and and uh, receive hourly wages across the board. It's it's all of us. I mean, that's what's that's what's so important and so. So brilliant about what Donald Trump did in American politics, focusing an agenda on on putting American workers first. It won it won over everybody, and he did better with all of those uh, with with all uh, sectors of the American voting population than Mitt Romney, John McCain, and and even George W. Bush did. Uh, with some of those, uh, with some of those sectors too. And so, would you start losing class agenda is a winning agenda, right? Would you have lost his uh, women in the suburbs? 
and you got to find a way to get that message back because they used to be yours. I want you to hear what's happening at the border. I'm, I'm astounded by how disinterested the President of the United States and Vice President seem to be at the chaos at the border, the worst in my lifetime, 20-year highs in terms of illegals coming to our border, 18,000-plus unaccompanied minors. And when Senator John Barrasso and 13 other senators went to the— uh, went over to Donna, Texas, to see the facility up close and personal. This is what happened, cut 37. They wanted to take some video, some pictures. We were told to delete the pictures. No one did. You've seen the video coming out of all of these kids crammed together under the foil blankets, huddling uh, together. Uh, and when you have 10% of them who are positive already, and I watched them be tested for coronavirus. They had them in a courtyard. All of these young people, this is after they have been there. They're only allowed to be there for three days by law. You wouldn't want your own kids to be there for three minutes, but there many are staying there for up to 10 days. They're being tested the day that they leave, put them all in the courtyard, they do the instant test, and then those that have been tested positive are just kind of moved to one side of the courtroom, those negative to the, to the other of this courtyard. So we can't get our kids in school. You can't go to a bar or a restaurant without ordering food. You can't stand next to somebody uh, in, a, in a restaurant. You can't really go to a gym unless you're wearing a mask. But if you're an unaccompanied minor from another country we know nothing about, we're just going to put you in a big pen. Congressman, your final thought last minute? Well, I'm headed to the border tomorrow, Brian, and, and going to take a look at myself, take, take extra batteries for my iPhone so I can record it too. But uh, it's been two weeks since Joe Biden put Kamala Harris in charge of this, we haven't heard a single public statement, not a, not any any kind of comments at all from her. But we shouldn't be surprised because she campaigned on a on a platform and said that it shouldn't be illegal to cross cross the border uh, if you're not a citizen. So that that's the fact of the matter. This administration, uh, this is they own this mess. But at the end of the day, I wonder if it's not a mess that they they actually want uh, to occur in America. I know it's uh, it's crazy. I can't unwind it. Uh, we will find out eventually. They prefer to talk about infrastructure. This will not go away. And the majority of the country are extremely concerned what's happening there. And Republicans are the one who is strong on the border. No one can argue that. And Kamala Harris, keep in mind, was a terrible candidate. She didn't even get to the primary. She fell apart. Congressman Jim Banks, good luck at the border. We'll talk to you when you get back. Great to be with you. You got it. When we come back, Stuart Varney and I, we go head to head on FBN. Simulcast coming your way. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's my privilege to be on in a moment on Barney and Company with Ashley Webster. He is a, a fire replacement. I uh, fill in for Stuart. He's everywhere in the channel, and I think we'll be simulcasting with him. And then I'm going to close the hour with some phone calls if I can squeeze in on the other side. But as you know, uh, as I might have mentioned, I had to miss Friday's show to interview George P. Bush out in Texas. He is, uh, in fact, let's listen together and I'll review it for you. You just went down to Texas. I think that's the name of a country song. It must be. And you got an in-depth look at their energy sector with land commissioner George P. Bush. Tell us about it, if you can. Well, I mean, the thing is, when when Joe Biden uh, whipped out those executive orders, I thought about the people, as you guys, you do it every single day, 24 hours a day, that jobs are going to be affected, whose careers are going to be destroyed. 
and to think that they're going to be the bad guys. Uh, the bad guys are the fossil fuel industry that made us energy independent. How did that happen? Do people realize that if we go down in Texas, if we don't drill in Louisiana, if we don't work offshore, that just that just makes Russia stronger and OPEC uh, 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 more of a factor? We got rid of that over the last eight years, especially over the last four. So I want to talk to the guy that's fighting back. He's leading the charge of the defense task force to bring Joe Biden's administration to court. When President Joe Biden, hours into taking office, signed an executive order killing the XL pipeline here in Texas, they knew they were going to be in trouble. But this is Texas, and Texas fights back. And that's exactly what they did with the Texas Defense Task Force, led by Land Commissioner George P. Bush. We're already in the courthouse in different parts of the country fighting some of the reckless policies that we've seen from the left. So we're, we're excited to bring the fight back. But he comes out and says, goodbye, XL Pipeline. And he says, oh, yeah, when it comes to drilling on federal land, we're going to pause that. How does that resonate in Texas? Well, it's send a very dangerous message to our state. The industry directly employs 400,000 Texans and indirectly employs over a million. We will lose 120,000 jobs if the federal lease policy stays in place for the rest of this year alone. What about next year? What about the year after? Are the, are the jobs going to multiply exponentially that are just going to disappear? They will unless we do something about it, and that's what we're doing in Texas. We're going to visit with small business owners that have felt the personal pain of what it means to let go of workers. We've lost 40 to 50,000 jobs here locally in Midland, Odessa. What were you thinking when you saw President Biden open up those books and, and sign those executive orders? What hit me significantly was the fact of, of thinking about all of the assets that I had operating in New Mexico and having the conversation of, you guys are going to have to move to, to West Texas or or you're going to have to you have to go find something else to do. So immediately that that book opens, he signs a signature and they are out of a job. Oh, it's significant like that. Do you think that they understand these are people with jobs? They don't. I got laid off the 1st of August. Was that was without work for four and a half months. I was, I was slated to go up to the Keystone. It was set to go to the XL pipeline? Yes, sir. We was really hoping everything was going to pick up as COVID eased off. And then we just kind of got slammed in the gut again. How? When uh, Mr. Biden come in and uh, knocked out 11,000 jobs the first days in office. I mean, the ramifications for that are still being felt in the industry. It's easy to say just go find another job, but when you're the head of a household and that other job you're going to do is going to pay you half as much as what you're used to, that, that's not quite as easy as it sounds. Your message is just let me work. Yeah, yeah, just let us do our job. So, George, now I'm going to get a chance to see what it's like working on a rig. Absolutely. This is uh, going to be the best training facility you will find. Should we go in? Let's do it. Safety first. Come on. Okay. What is this? This is a pumping unit. What are we looking for? Oil, gas? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll, you'll be having oil and gas mixed together coming out of this segment. Natural gas coming out of this one. They co-mingle into a flow line and go to production facilities. Wow. This is just a tiny fraction of what all goes into your typical oil field. Right, and I was staggered to find out you need workers. Absolutely, we need workers. What happened? When it slows down and people get frustrated, leave the industry, they say they're never coming back, and they don't. But you say these are great paying jobs, George. Right? Absolutely. It pays over $125,000 per year. And you do make money. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So that's roughly what we're looking at there in terms of. 
Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, it's roughly what we're looking at there in terms of uh, of what it's like on an average every day when you when you make a decision in Washington, awesome. how it affects people in Texas. Yes. And also, as you know, they drill mostly on federal land in New Mexico and Oklahoma. They invest in Texas mm. in those places, Ashley, and they're all affected. And they say, okay, we're out of here. If this business is going to go away, we're leaving. Yeah. But America pays a price. It really does. And it's so important to show the human face on all of this. Carly Shinkus did a great job with some XL pipeline workers laid off in Arkansas. And your report there really shows that these decisions done with a flourish of a pen really do have huge impact. Brian, that was great. And you looked unnatural, by the way, in your check shirt and your hard hat. You looked like you had been doing mm. that for years. And you had Thank to bring you up my so much. You man. had to bring Appreciate up my it. arch nemesis, Carly Shimkus. How dare you bring her up on this show? <laughs> I am so sorry. I'll pay you back some way. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Kill Go get me. him, Ashley. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. 1-866-408-7669. Christine, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Christine. Okay, hold on a second. We haven't really transitioned. Now you are. Christine, hi. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you. I want to say to all our white American friends, brothers and sisters, that you need to start talking about the black brothers and sisters out there that you love, your friends, your coworkers, that you respect, that you know, that you enjoy their music. You see the devotion in their churches and their family. They, they're great cops. You need to talk about what you love about them and how close you are to them and that these laws in the state of Georgia are not just for other races or other people or Republicans. These laws are to protect your vote as well. You need to know that you have integrity, that your vote matters, and that these laws are for you, too, against fraud. Absolutely. If you want to mail in your vote, you want to, do, you want to make sure it's not canceled by somebody that doesn't belong in your state or your country. Christine, if you read this bill, there's nothing about now to law. There's nothing radical about it at all. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, We hope you had a sensational holiday weekend for most of you, an Easter weekend. I know it's a little bit bit different, but a lot better than last year, I imagine, when they told us to stay home and not talk to anybody. And, of course, don't, uh, you know, you can't go to church, congregations, or anything like that. Uh, This hour is going to be great. I did an interview with George P. Bush. The reason why I had to leave Friday's show and miss it, I had I went down to Texas, flew to Dallas, no direct flights to Midland, where I hooked up with the land commissioner, George P. Bush, son of Jeb Bush, who's in his second term now, eyes on the attorney generalship, and just talked to him about what's going on in Texas, how, they, how the fossil fuel industry is being attacked, attacked by the left, attacked by Joe Biden. And it's not just pipelines. It's the drilling on federal lands. And it's the sense that there is no future and we're coming after you, as opposed to providing the national security to allow us to be energy independent, which they said was impossible in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
and it happened under President Trump. It was en route under President Bush. President uh, Obama at least used to talk about natural gas in a positive way, but that all changed. I was able to get a roundtable with some executives who are all different walks of the energy industry, really learned a lot, and George P. Bush doing everything legally to fight back for the people of his of his state, of Texas. Uh, Brett Baer, as I mentioned at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So are we in a fourth wave right now? Well, I believe we are. And I believe that uh, in some ways we're almost in a new pandemic. The only good news about this is that the current vaccines are effective against this particular variant, B117. That's uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm, a fourth wave. That's what they're saying now because of these variants. This U.K. variant is a big problem, slamming into middle America. Michigan doubled in numbers. Minneapolis says uh, they're having problems with uh, seventh and eighth graders now going after kids. We have to get uh, vaccined up, and we got some natural immunity. We should be okay. But Europe is flat on its back, and they're worried about it coming here. Number two. The infrastructure of care, you're really stretching the word beyond all meaning. What you're doing is you're going to pay people to take care of the elderly and disabled. I mean, it's a social program. Well, we're going to invest in building child care facilities. We're going to invest in upgrading home and community-based care facilities. Why, are we out of buildings? We've got plenty of buildings. What are you talking about? $2 trillion on infrastructure. It's a non-infrastructure package based on passed by Memorial Day, they hope. That's what President Biden's new push is. If it passes, it'll be the new, uh, it will it'll be with zero Republican support. They wanted tunnels and bridges to Republicans. So do you. It rates extremely high with the American people. But all this other stuff has nothing to do with infrastructure. They call it human infrastructure. And he's going to want another $2 trillion after this. Is this real money or what? Number one. Politics need not be a raging fire that destroys everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated or made up. And Joe Biden's broken his own rule 84 days. He's lying about this bill. He is. And Chris Christie called him out. And George Stephanopoulos had no answer. Governor, the Georgia election law lies. Those lies and corporate cowards have cost Atlanta the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Did they even read the law? We did, and we will tell you the facts and how. You will see how misplaced the criticism is, and we'll tell you why uh, we are all... uh, we all going to lose in the end because we're going to lose total faith in the election. I want to get to the George P. Bush interview, which has never been heard before in its entirety. I did the package for Fox and Friends, but I wanted to air the interview just for the radio audience for you. But I want you to hear from Chris Christie. Why? Because this Georgia law, all it does is ask on on you can still have a no excuse absentee ballot. You now have 17 days to to vote early. Unlike New York, you can vote early in person. You can vote on Saturday and in Sundays. You have to have eight hours open at the polls. It could be from 7 to 7. The restrictions that they talk about are this. Have ID when you have an absentee ballot. Understand? So if you don't have it, there's free IDs in Georgia. Non-licensed, non-driver's license ID. Then if they say, if you don't have that, you have a Social Security number, you don't have that, Do you have a state ID number? You don't have that. Do you have a utility bill, a phone bill? That's it. That's not saying blacks, Hispanics, women don't vote. More from Chris Christie. Cut to. I sat here and listened to the president's inaugural address. 
And I just want a, a couple of real quick points from it. Politics need not be a raging fire that destroys everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated or made up. And Joe Biden's broken his own rule, 84 days. And now he's lying to the American people, George. He's lying about this bill. He's lying to the American people about it to cause the raging fire he said he was going to put out. I'm very disappointed. Jim Crow on steroids. You know what Jim Crow is? Democratically passed laws in the 1880s that made it almost impossible for blacks, minorities to vote. So you had that literacy test. There was all types of uh, requirements. There was money that had to be issued out. It was a joke. It's an embarrassment. Jim Crow on steroids. Are you crazy? So this is part of the stuff. Now, I hope that he's just lying. Because imagine if he actually thinks this is true. The Washington Post writes that they caught him four times lying about this bill. The New York Times writes that this isn't an uh, a, a anti-black bill. They go into detail on it. And he continues to say what he says. It makes him sick. It's sick. What is sick about it? So over the weekend, I had a chance to go to Midland, Texas, interview George P. Bush. He's 40-something years old. He's got a law degree, served in the military. Now he's got uh, real-life business experience behind him. And now he's got six years as land commissioner. He's running for something else. Still friendly with the Trumps, one of the few Bushes that is. Here is George P. Bush talking to me about what has happened to oil and gas under President Biden already, what they fear, how they're fighting, and what he plans to do next. Listen. George, you've had this job for a while. What is the challenge of having it now for another Democratic administration? You had the experience before, then you had the Trump years. What are you worried about now? We're, we're worried about the overreach from this federal government, whether it's under the Endangered Species Act, whether it's through federal agencies, namely the Interior Department, that seek to impact the Texas way of life and how we run our economy. And so at the General Land Office, we're pushing back in the courthouse, we're pushing back on the ground, we're pushing back with the media and saying that Texas needs to be left alone, let Texans run their lives, and don't mess with our way of life. But they are. And... I get the sense, and I don't know if you got it from the outside, when you got hit with that freeze, when winter came calling, and it seems as though your, uh, your grid wasn't ready, did you sense there were some, some people on the, on the left that were almost happy about it? Absolutely. The people were very glib about it outside of our state. They, they laughed at the misfortune of a, of a red state. But the reality is that what it messaged to people in our state is that we need to produce more energy. We need to make it more available particularly through power for our people. Are there changes that we can do to make the state more resilient? Absolutely. And we're going to get to the bottom of that during this legislative session. But it's unfortunate that other parts of this country viewed this as a political issue rather than an issue that brings people together to solve problems. Right. Um, and you did have to solve that problem. So the other thing would be, is for people to understand, is as you try to solve that problem, you also have a border issue on top of that. The federal government's in charge, but it seems like the Texas is pay Texas and the border states are paying the price. The state of Texas pays a billion dollars every year to support the efforts of Customs and Border Patrol. We, there's a countless amount of resources that we devote to help communities on our border that are dealing with this incredible influx of not only unaccompanied children, but illegal immigrants that are coming across and also dealing with the violence that border cartels uh, impose on our country and, uh, and imposing their will on our state. And so um, we're tired of the federal government not stepping up to the plate and accepting their responsibility in this effort. So 
we're going to continue sounding that message to whoever's willing to listen in Washington, D.C. to help us out. We need, we need your help. And I get the sense, too, when you say that, you're speaking for people. This isn't just industry. You know the faces of the people that have been laid off. You know the people at the border, sta- border towns that are being ransacked, that have their properties being ransacked, or, or the towns that are being overwhelmed. Public, that's what public service is all about. It's about serving communities. It's about serving families. Uh, it's about serving community stakeholders and making sure that their voice is heard in Washington, D.C. And uh, frankly, we're tired of it. We need new leadership in Washington, D.C. to understand our problems and not politicize everything, view our state as red, and then turn uh, a, cold, a cold shoulder to our needs. Land commissioner, a powerful position within Texas. But when you see, when you feel the frustration of people above you making decisions that affect you, does that make you want to seek another position? It makes me want to, uh, to, to have a, a voice, a stronger voice, because when I talk to constituents, they want changes, uh, whether it's in Austin, whether it's in Washington, D.C., but they want a conservative voice that's going to bring character and integrity to public office. And so I've been privileged to serve as land commissioner for the last six years, but uh, we need new leadership uh, in, in his high statewide executive role. And you're hoping to be, to run for? I'm taking a very serious look at Attorney General because we need a conservative advocate for the state that pushes back on the federal overreach but does so without the baggage, that has character, integrity, that brings family values to the front and center of, of how I live my life. And we need leadership that lives to those values. And when would you make that decision? Well, right now, as I mentioned, we're so focused on fixing the winter grid, pushing back the overreach, working on during this legislative session, but expect an announcement fairly soon. Very interesting. Uh, well, as you look back at your family and we're sitting here in front of an oil field, can you not, can you not help but think about what your grandfather thought about in 1948 when he decides to leave Greenwich, Connecticut and try his hand as a clerk in the oil business? What does he tell you about that? Well, uh, what my grandfather taught me is that his uh, humble beginnings really began right here in Midland. Uh, he came from the east, but moved west in a Studebaker with my grandmother, Barbara Bush, um, and with George W. and, and my dad, Jeb, um, really began uh, a great life, uh, an American life, a fulfilling life that took them from the oil fields of Midland, Odessa, to the halls of power in Washington, D.C., but it all started right here with, I think, the most important industry in our country, and that's the oil and gas industry that offers hope, it offers, offers opportunity and entrepreneurship for those trying to get ahead. And in 1948, it was a different business, right? When you were drilling, you didn't know what you were going to hit. Did he describe to you the excitement of that, the risk of that, the worry that goes along with that? Absolutely. He thought that the conventional path was to stay on the East Coast and, and you know, use connections, but to come out here not knowing a soul, living, he would describe the home that he lived in Odessa as sharing that with uh, ladies of the night, if you know what I mean, when uh, it was just one bedroom and, and a bathroom that they shared with, uh, with others. And so um, that humble beginning was all about taking calculated risk and about achieving the American dream. And I think his life of public service exemplified. Without looking at your banks, his bank statement, would you say he did well? Absolutely. Right. He so he was proud of his success. Absolutely. It enabled him in the 1960s to do what? In the 60s, it offered, offered the opportunity to go to Houston, continue raising his family, putting family values at the center of his right. political philosophy, and helping, helping to start the Republican Party here in the state of Texas where, when there weren't too many that were willing to say that they were conservative. I understand. And, uh, serving as Harris County Party Chair and then 
and then later running for Congress. Do you consider yourself part of the oil family, oil and gas family? Absolutely. Do you consider the Bushes part of that? It's, it's in our heritage. It's in our family blood and uh, one that I carried on in my own business career after uh, going to law school at the University of Texas and spent a lot of time in, in a lot of these fields, whether it was a salesman, whether it was a, as an investor, whether it was putting together partnerships and seeking opportunity. And, and that's what continues to bring so many people here to the Permian Basin to seek it. And your uncle who became president, President George W. Bush, also in the oil business. After Harvard Business School, he came here and, and started his career where he met folks like Donald Evans and other great friendships that he keeps to this day um, and uh, one that he cherishes to this day. Great. And lastly, when you look at uh, some of the things that come out of Texas, uh, Matthew McConaughey, who had a very successful run, is a Texan through and through. He wants to run for governor. He's thinking about it, getting into politics. What advice would you give him? Are you supportive of it? Well, maybe he needs to continue to think about it. Um, you know, in Texas, we're focused on the here and the now and the crisis that, that faces us, whether it's repairing our grid or getting ready for this federal overreach that we're seeing from Washington, D.C. So voters will have plenty of opportunities to, to make their decision made, but right now we're focused on the here and now. What do you say about your people who say your party's fractured? Liz Cheney, you know the Cheneys well, you know the Trumps well. They're not getting along. Uh, ben Sass doesn't get along with the president. Jim Jordan does. If you guys aren't together... You're not going to win, and you're not together now. Where, where's George P. Bush? <laughs> well, I think there's nothing more unifying in Republican Party politics than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And so I think after a few years of left-wing progressive ideas that we'll see from a Democratic-controlled White House, Senate, and House, a lot of everyday Americans are going to say this is enough. And that'll bring our party together. We're going to capture the energy of the Trump administration, put it in a bottle, bring in new voters, Hispanics, young people, uh, minority communities, and we're going to deliver majorities in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. Do you want a seat at the table for that? For Absolutely. I, I, I want to be a part of that future leadership, not only in our state, but around our country. I think it's time for some new voices that take the best from the past, but look toward the future and build better communities for our children and our grandchildren. From that day at the convention when you were a, a teenager, would you have projected this for yourself? Was that one of the things where a lot of people don't know what they're going to do in the future, but you knew then you wanted to do this? I had no idea. Uh, you know, I love uh, my family. I love my grandfather, my uncle, my dad supported all their campaigns. But honestly, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. And I walked on at Rice University. Uh, unfortunately, Lance Berkman, um, a future Hall of Famer, beat me to that, along with Jose Cruz. But, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's about public service. And... Um, I've been blessed with opportunities to be able to serve my, my fellow uh, community in this role as land commissioner. We'll see where the future takes us. It's but, in God's hands. Right. They retired in their 40s, and you're getting into your prime. So I think you made the right choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I got better grades, maybe. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Great job. All right, that was uh, George P. Bush. That was the whole interview, and we interviewed a couple other places. We also went inside a facility, and uh, uh, an oil facility, and talked about that. We were outdoors there. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I love this club and I love performing in New York. So uh, 
I try. I didn't want to get emotional, but uh, I'm really excited to uh, be helping them bring it back. And he said that that was Jerry Seinfeld Friday. Why is it important for him to see this? Because you don't understand, if you're a comedian, whether you're a multi-zillionaire like Jerry Seinfeld, the ones that have to grind it out with totally on the shelf for a year, there's nothing for you to do. Your backup is usually, traditionally, uh, restaurants and bars. That's where you usually earn a living in order to get up on stage. Gotham Comedy Club was able to open up, I think, which is 25% capacity. And Seinfeld said, and it's, it's probably the best, it is the best club in New York City, the number one mark in the world. He said, if you open that up, I will be there opening night. Can you imagine these guys and these couples that show up? The, in this, uh, on uh, I think 23rd Street in Manhattan, and all of a sudden Seinfeld's up there, and he said, I'm coming down, Chris Mazzilli, hopefully he'll be on our show this week, talk about how tough it has been, as these politicians just think it's too dangerous to go to a comedy club, right? It's too dangerous. So they just had to sit on the sideline. And now they're back, and hopefully 50%, 75%. We know every time uh, another woman comes out after Governor Cuomo, he loosens up restrictions a little bit more. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen later on today. But I know what's happening next. Brett Baer. And we'll talk about this infrastructure bill. We're going to talk about the chaos at the border. And what else is going on in this country. Don't move. Jason in the House. The Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So are we in a fourth wave right now? Well, I believe we are. And I believe that uh, in some ways we're almost in a new pandemic. The only good news about this is that the current vaccines are effective against this particular variant, B117. So that is what Dr. Mike Osterholm says, because he sees the numbers ticking up, especially in the Midwest, uh, in terms of cases. And they're starting to hit younger people. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, though, who I have a lot of respect for, uh, said this on Face the Nation. I think that there's enough immunity in the population that you're not going to see a true fourth wave of infection. What we're seeing is pockets of infection around the country, particularly in younger people who haven't been vaccinated and also in school-aged children. If you look what's happening in Michigan and Minnesota and Massachusetts, for example, you're seeing outbreaks in schools and infections in social cohorts that haven't been exposed to the virus before. Maybe we're doing a better job sheltering. Now they're out and about getting exposed to the virus and they're getting infected. So the infection is changing its contours in terms of who's being stricken by it right now. So who do we believe? We know one thing. It's a little bit of a challenge. We see what's happening in Europe. And they've basically locked down again. Brett Baer joins us, chief political anchor for Fox News. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brett. All right. So we got to we do have some concern. First, we had the CDC director saying, I feel I feel like we're heading to a point of doom. And then we have people looking at the number of cases and getting worried. But deaths are still down around 30 percent. Yeah, I mean, the vaccines are having a tremendous effect on hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, as far as infections, there are people who either haven't had it or haven't gotten the vaccine yet. And that's a, a challenge to get people vaccinated. But I will say that the messaging out of the CDC and overall has been muddled, I think. Um, you know, totally. The same week, the CDC director came out and said, Yes, uh, vaccines, if you get the vaccine and you're fully vaccinated, you cannot transmit this disease or this virus, and, uh, and you're not going to get sick. Then she came out, you know, a few days later after that was really 
blockbuster news and said, well, it's not 100%. We're still looking at numbers. You know, we've seen this back and forth, and that's the frustrating thing. Uh, you have two different experts who are well-respected in their field you just played have two different takes. I think we just need to get as many people vaccinated as possible and keep moving forward. So, Brett, you're a news guy. you got to pick out the best story. There's a lot of stories on a daily basis. you got one governor who has left his state open, has, uh, has uh, the deaths and cases are down, and his economy standing up on its own merits. People are going there because they're allowed to be free, and that's the governor of Florida. Then you have the governor of New York who wrote a book, How to Beat a Pandemic, who led the country in cases and deaths. And we found out was using his staff to write the book, got a $4 million advance to write the book. In the middle of the pandemic, as we started a second wave, he has nine separate sexual uh, harassment charges against him. There's an investigation going on by the AG and FBI. And then on top of that, we found out he's given preferential treatment to his friends and family when it came to the tests and vaccines. Who's the better story? According to 60 Minutes, no doubt about it, it's Ron DeSantis. They spent 20 minutes trying to tear him apart. It was quite something. I mean, I, I listen, there were things that you could flaw, you could say were flawed uh, at the beginning. Uh, but the way that 60 Minutes presented it and the way that they kind of edited the sound bites, if you look at the full transcript of what he says in those exchanges he does kind of lay it out um the big hook was that Publix had donated a hundred thousand dollars uh to his political action committee they also donated to democrats as well and uh um, oh, they didn't add that by the way yeah they didn't add that um and if you're talking about a story about governor cuomo i mean you could you could talk about who donated to his political uh, committees um, who were tied to the nursing home decision, and that led to the deaths of thousands of people. So, listen, I agree with you. I, I think that 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 choice was really interesting. I I haven't heard whether sixty minutes is doing a Cuomo piece, but I I don't think they are. I don't think so. So. So they, you know, you read this and you saw this, the way they cut up the, the, the you know, he doesn't want to sit down in 60 minutes. He feels it's going to be a hatchet job. The, they make the decision all the time. So 60 minutes showed up to one of his press conferences and you hear the exchange back and forth about, um, uh, about their accusation of him picking favorite targets of people that supported him to get the vaccine and not going into poor neighborhoods. And they also named, they also had a big thing about how Publix got the uh, got the contract essentially contract. to sell these vaccines. So South Florida market. Let's look. Why would you pick Publix? They have 223 stores, 60 percent of the entire marketplace sales of seven point five billion. Let's look at second place. Walmart, 42 stores, 12 percent. Winn-Dixie, 36 stores. Whole Foods, 15 stores. I don't know. He said he had no- and then Governor Sanders said I had nothing to do with that decision. They were ready. They were ready to go. I want to go to the most efficient people. I want to go to seniors over first responders and teachers. Now, if there are poor neighborhoods, solve that problem, point it out. But I'm just amazed because he is the star on the right. He has been defiant and he's been successful. And he's looking at another four years uh, for reelection. We know how things quickly can change naturally because everyone's making such consequential decisions. But my goodness, I want you to hear a little of the 60 Minutes report. Uh, Cut 26. Back in January, the governor made another game-changing move. 
he announced he was partnering with Publix grocery stores across the state to distribute the vaccine in their pharmacies. But as part of the program in Palm Beach County, most seniors could no longer get vaccine appointments through their public health departments. They had to go to Publix instead. So why did the governor choose Publix? Campaign finance reports obtained by 60 Minutes show that weeks before the governor's announcement, Publix donated $100,000 to his political action committee, Friends of Ron DeSantis. Julie Jenkins Fancelli, heiress to the public's fortune, has given $55,000 to the governor's PAC in the past. And in November, Fancelli's brother-in-law, Hoyt R. Barnett, a retired Publix executive, donated $25,000. So it's an important qualifier to say they're by far the biggest supermarkets, uh, the broadest. Most people live around supermarkets, go to supermarkets, they're familiar with supermarkets. That's a decision. Every state's making decisions. I, I don't the think way, that's completing the whole picture. Yeah. By the way, um, congratulations to 60 Minutes for obtaining the FEC report that you can get online. <laughs> um, anybody, anybody can obtain that if you right. want it. And if so you have a printer. Just stick the obtain. They obtain <laughs> those documents. Right. So I'm curious to see if Ryan DeSantis, you know, I'm sure he's going to come out and do an interview. And I, I would like to see the whole transcript with it, with that whole exchange. But I did talk to him the week after. I said, listen, you got this donor over in the Keys, and uh, evidently some areas of the Keys. He's going, Brian, it's a non-story. Here you go, blah, blah, blah. He gave me the, uh, the feedback on it before we even hopped on the air. So, And it, the story kind of died in the local paper. Little did I know, maybe the local paper picked it up from the story that was brewing on 60 Minutes. Yeah, listen, the governors have to explain their actions. If there's something fishy, they Go need after. to lay it out. Yep. Yeah, and um, I think DeSantis does do that for the most part, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of interviews with him after this. Uh, if anything, 60 Minutes, you know, at least in, in the places where he needs political power, um, may may have helped him in some political way. Uh, because that story seemed like it had um, had some serious holes in it, and and obviously the huge, uh, big controversy about Governor Cuomo, and yet no one seems to be focused on it. How it's can it really, be? Really, quite something. And plus, it's in your backyard. You know, you skewed to do things in your neighborhood. You know, we have New York here. Something happens, we might think it's bigger than it is, and in Washington, same thing. But New York, yep. where, where CBS is located, you'd have to think reading this every single day, this ongoing scandal, you'd almost feel compelled to have to do it. This guy was once the was, – was, everyone's like, I wish he was running for president. His approval rating was like 83 percent. And and you don't want to do that story? Are you kidding? I mean, what a star has fallen story. And uh, the problem is, is that it doesn't hit the right groups. And, um, you know, I'm usually a big fan of 60 Minutes. I really am. I think they've done amazing stuff over the years. But uh, sometimes they misstep, and sometimes uh, they need to be called out for it. So you must feel good. You're a big golfer. Uh, Augusta is not going to move the Masters. Yeah, Augusta is not going to move the Masters. PJ is not going to move the Masters out of Augusta, I should say, uh, despite the election law, which has been totally misportrayed by the press. I've never in my life ever seen anything more inaccurately reported by more people than what's going on with this Georgia election law. You know, and it starts with the president. Jim Crow on steroids. 
It's truly amazing. I mean, there were about four real whoppers said by President Biden over and over again. And the result of it is to draw people apart based on racial lines. You know, Charles Barkley had a great uh, analysis over the weekend um, that he fears that politicians on both sides, Republicans, Democrats, are stirring up. Hey, you uh, want to hear it? I actually pulled it, Brett. Let's uh, let's listen. Here's Charles Barkley talking on TNT's pregame show just about what's going on in Georgia. But I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. They divide and conquer. And their only job is, hey, let's make these people not like each other. We don't live in their neighborhoods. We all got money. Let's make the whites and blacks not like each other. Let's make rich people and poor people not like each other. Uh, let's Let's... Scrambled a middle class. And he said, most white people are great people. Most black people are great people. Uh, we're being misportrayed in our li- in our lifetime, Brett. Think about from how this was been, how uh, color was perceived uh, among people in your high school, in your college, and and when you started reporting. I've never. Everything is color and gender now. Everything. Yeah. And listen, for all of – and some of the criticism was, was point on uh, about some of the things that Joe Biden said about Donald Trump. But he often accused the former president of stirring things up yep. based on racial lines again and again and again. And yet no one, no one besides our channel really is calling President Biden out for doing that. You know, those things are wrong. They're dead wrong. It's like black and white in the law. He said that the voting hours would be uh, diminished or shrunken. No, they're actually extended. Uh, Stacey Abrams, you know, said don't move the, the MLB game. Uh, and she praised New Jersey uh, previously for their voting rights. Well, Georgia does more than New Jersey ever did as far as early voting. It's it's unbelievable. And Major League Baseball, they better be careful which state they go to because it better have better laws than this Georgia law because there's 27 of them that don't. Why are the Braves still there? Tell the Braves to move. And they're coming after Texas's law, too. Texas knew in some report of the law to tighten things up after the pandemic free-for-all that we witnessed, where everyone had to ad-lib to make everything more accessible, including drop boxes, which are now legal for the first time in the history of Georgia. One per county, more for bigger counties. Used to live there. I can't tell you anything about Georgia, right? But I know it's not Jim Crow. I know it's not 1880. And it's not even close. That was legitimate an embarrassment to this country. This is not an embarrassment to anyone. I mean, I've read the law. I've gone over it. Um, they obviously made changes in the state legislature because they felt like it was too loose and there was too many, there's too much wiggle room. But it's not that they're restricting yeah. the voting. If you look at the law itself, now there are some tweaks that could be made. There are some things that could be done differently. But voter ID shouldn't be one of the things that is throwing people into this tizzy because we use identification for everything. And it's free. Listen, Brett, get free ID in Georgia, non-driving ID. Use bring a utility bill in Georgia. Don't worry about if you drive or not. 
Uh, just, you know, give a tax ID number. They just want to make sure it's you. That's all. You should care about That's that. It. All right. So, Brett, we'll look forward to seeing you tonight at at uh, 6 o'clock. You're going to be uh, featured on Special Report. You're aware of this, right? I will actually be on there, yeah. All right. Brett, go get him. <laughs> See ya. one 408 7669 When we come back, your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, now it's time to find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, let's get started. I can't believe this. Pete just handed me this. Starting April 15th, California will allow indoor concerts, theater performances, and other private gatherings. Really? You can't go to school yet. You can barely play sports. They have to sue to get on the open field. And now they're going to let concerts go? NBA games, I guess to a certain degree, state officials won't require testing or proof of vaccination for some of these events. Events that do not require testing and vaccination will be allowed to have more paying customers than those who don't. Only uh, only people who live in California can attend these. Again, how stupid is that? you got to live in California to attend these games. If you are a parent of a child that has not been in school for the past year in person learning, you have to be outraged. Next, Tom Brady breaks his own record. His rookie card goes for $2.25 million. The sum fetched Friday night through online sports auction at Leland's broke a record for the sale of a football card. Uh, Brady continues to shatter records, they say. His 2000 playoff contenders championship rookie card had an opening bid of 75000 Man, it went crazy. An anonymous buyer walked off with the prize after 67 bids. I wasn't shocked, he said, but I was certainly surprised, according to Leland's president, Mike Hefner. Keep in mind, the six-round draft pick, probably people toss that out. All we got to have Brandon Steiner on because right now, sports memorabilia is going through the roof. What were the cards when you were growing up that you felt were the, uh, like the golden uh, ticket cards? Willie like- Mays, mm-hmm. Willie McCovey, uh, Hank Aaron. People got the sense that they were the legends that they are. Willie Stargell. The Mickey Mantle yeah. rookie card. I remember when I was a kid. It was like 50 oh, grand and everybody, you know. But was, he would already rare. retired by the time, you know, and yeah. he was uh, this legend. Uh, next, DMX's family going to hold a prayer vigil in New York. It looks like the rapper's family announced the gathering will take place Monday at 5 outside of the White Plains Hospital where on Sunday night staff members held a small vigil. He was really the first rapper. DMX's fiance and mother have both been allowed to visit him where he remains on life support following the heart attack he suffered uh, during an overdose Friday night, we're told some of his kids are flying home to see him, and family members are holding out hope that he's going to somehow find a way to pull through. Uh, DMX is simply asking uh, for prayer. It doesn't look good. No, not at all, but you know, very popular. And I, and I know uh, your colleague Pete Hexeth on the weekend is a huge uh, rap fan, and I believe he's a DMX fan, too. Oh, uh, yeah, we did meet him. He's a good guy. You know who his brother is, right? No, I don't, actually. Okay, I can't tell you. Uh, Glory Henry, uh, Dennis the Menace's mom, died at 98 years old. That's a real pick-me-up. Her name is Erin Elwood. I will miss her. Next, Tina Turner's fans outraged that she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She had a new documentary on HBO has revved up fans who are incredulous she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Why'd they even start that? Well, it's she so should, controversial. I mean, she's an iconic singer. She's in with her husband as a duo, but how is she not? She's been singing solo since the early 80s. How is she not in as a solo artist? Right. I am worried about a lot of things. I am not going to focus on Tina Turner's legacy. Uh, Angela Bassett got her big career break that when she played. That was a good movie. That was. I'm going to watch it tonight. 
This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.